0: Deep
1: pattern downfield,
0: touchdown Miami! What a throw, Devonte Parker! Holy smokes, what a drive! What is up, Dolphin fans, and welcome to the Drive Time podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins official podcast network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? It is Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And on today's show, we're talking all things draft, Tua Tunga-Vailoa, building the ideal offense around the strengths of said 23-year-old quarterback, and Ben Solak of the Draft Network is going to join us to do all of that. Plus, we'll get his thoughts on Isaiah Wilson, all of that, and a whole lot more on this Friday, March the 12th edition of the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins the reports came out on Monday evening that Miami had agreed in principle for a trade for Isaiah Wilson, the former first round pick of the Tennessee Titans. He was number 29 overall in the 2020 NFL draft and now according to Rap Sheet, Albert Breer, all the big time reporters across the NFL, he will be coming to Miami in exchange for a swap of 7th round draft picks I went ahead and watched his tape and and had some thoughts about what he did in college only played 4 snaps his first year, his rookie season with the Titans, but looking back at his college tape, I'll go ahead and save some of those takes and thoughts and opinions for when I get my guest on here, Ben Solak let's go ahead and do that right now because Ben's got plenty of knowledge to impart upon us as a fan base here as Dolphins fans and with the draft, let's go ahead and get him on, my guest from the Draft Network, Ben Solak. And if you don't know him by now, he is a senior writer at the Draft Network, he is on Twitter, he is everywhere, recently had a great appearance on the Mina Kimes Show, and Ben, I wanted to congratulate you on that, man, Benjamin Solak of the Draft Network. The Mina Kimes podcast was fantastic, man, congrats on that.
1: Yeah, no, it was great. In the pre-show, she was like, I, I don't know if you've uh, listened to the show before. And I was like, every single week, the second it drops, man. Like, this is a good show. Uh, so, it was, no, it was cool to be on there. It was a lot of fun. We were going to talk Wentz trade, and then Wentz trade uh, extended forever. So, and she was like, I guess we'll just talk about the top draft quarterbacks. And I was like, oh, darn that's not an interesting topic this year or anything like that, you know, so it was a
0: lot of fun. (laughs) That's why you're on this edition of the drive time podcast. Uh, If you haven't seen Ben's work on the quarterback class, the comprehensive manual every year is, is so, so, so good. So in depth. And as you all know, that's, that's kind of my bread and butter here on the podcast is the analytics side and the film study and who better than Ben to come on the podcast here and talk about it. And, uh, you know, Ben, we talked a little bit off air a little bit. I've got my drink buffet right here in front of me for this podcast. Now, normally I'm not much of a go to the drink guy when it comes to podcasting, but when it comes to writing water, diet Coke and energy drinks, but I, I'm told that you might be able to sell me on a different, maybe more healthy alternative.
1: I mean, well, okay. So for me, I drink water and I drink coffee. I don't drink anything, uh, any, any pop, any soda. Uh, I don't drink any energy drinks. I'm terrified of what would happen if I did. Uh, I, I have I have insomnia. I can't sleep, and so uh, I'm not allowed to drink coffee after two p.m. That's the rule that was given to me. You're like now, a I'm Be honest with you, I'm not great at that, especially during draft season. When we start getting into March and April, it's like this is a non-negotiable. We got work to do. Um, but, yeah, no, so I am wake up, chug as much water as possible. It's the only way to wake up. Yeah. Drink two cups of coffee at, like, 150. I have an alarm that goes off. It's like, finish finish, finish the coffee. You have to finish it, and then <laughs> I inevitably make another pot. But, yeah, I don't know if I'm the model for, for healthy consumption, but I don't think you're going to find a, a person in football Twitter, uh, a member of football media who is – we're all just trying to get to the end of the day with our eyes open. Well,
0: hey, man, if that means our uh, 11 p.m. tweets of greatness that you drop turn to 2 a.m., I'm, I'm all here for it because being on the West Coast right now, I love that stuff, man. So, hey, good company. It's There's there's some type of addiction we all have to, a vice we have to take to get through these long days sometimes, especially in season. And right now we are in season for you. Real quick, I want to tell you a quick story that you'll like. So uh, I drink these Bang Energy drinks, and I, I'm very weird about my drinks. They're always frozen. I always have them in the freezer. I pull them out when they hit that, like, slush part. And I do this at the team facility. And sometimes I would bump into Fitz and Tua in the kitchen there, and one time I bumped into fits, and I had a bang in one hand and a Diet Coke in the other hand. And it was, one was for lunch, one was for after lunch. It's a whole process. And he was like, so what you got there, man? Like, what, what's, what are we working with? Is that an energy drink? And I was like, you know, Fitz, you don't get this physique you're looking at before you without pounding two or three bangs a day, and he thought that was the greatest thing ever, so, uh, man. I
1: imagine Ryan Fitzpatrick could pound a bang if he needed to. He'd <laughs> shotgun it. He'd do it well. Well, he had
0: the infamous, uh, the, cake, the cake stuff talking about, was it the month of March where they had like five birthdays, and so he got to camp a little bit pudgy, but he he trimmed it down, <laughs> he got looking good, and he, he performed well for two years here at the Dolphins, but That's beside the point, Ben. Before we do get to the quarterback talk and talk about how to construct an offense around this 23-year-old Southpaw quarterback, I want to first ask you about some news that came down this week, taping this podcast midweek. Isaiah Wilson, man, 29th pick in the draft last year. Dolphins get him for reportedly, according to all the insiders in the league, a swap of seventh-round draft picks. Now, we know about the -the off-the-field stuff that kind of led to this moment of his career. We don't have to cover that. I think everyone's well-versed in that. But when it comes to the film, when it comes to his time at Georgia, what do you think, Isaiah Wilson? Is he a guy that could possibly line up at right tackle and play for this Dolphins team right away?
1: Maybe. I wouldn't be moving Robert Hunt for him. You know what I mean? Like, I wouldn't go and, and try to make that a thing. I think you bring in Wilson because he was a first round pick last year because he's 6'9, 3'10 with shoulders like Hercules. And you hope that while he's in the building, you're able to, with the veteran offensive lineman you've got, with the offensive line coach that you have, with, with, with your infrastructure, get him to a point where he's consistently coming week in, week out, working, developing. And then whether it's injury, whether it's contracts, whether it's preseason, you see what you've got down the road. Uh, Wilson was viewed as a developmental prospect coming into the 2020 draft. When he started to get that first round hype, it was surprising to a lot of people uh, who evaluate in media, who thought that you know developmental guys are really more, more your your day two targets, right? Round two and round three. He ends up going to the Titans. They 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 take a swing on that potential. They love those big physical offensive linemen. And very clearly he just never was a a culture fit. He was never locked in there in Tennessee, uh, wasn't able to see the field. They had problems with him starting even before the season began in terms of getting him in the building and and being successful. So you bring in a player like Wilson with the hope that your culture and Brian Flores, as far as culture goes, (laughs) it's Brian Flores. He's the man with the hopes that your culture can get him to a place where he wants to be in the building. He wants to be working consistently and he wants to start. And then he puts in time, he puts in effort. uh, and, And eventually that opportunity comes to him. But with the way Robert Hunt played last year, I wouldn't be, uh, anticipating Wilson taking that starting role, Hunt was pretty doggone good.
0: Uh, that's that's my take too. Those final six games of the year, Robert Hunt at right tackles. Incremental growth throughout the season. A couple of 200-yard rushing days for the Dolphins, and he was a big focal point of that. I'm glad you mentioned the Brian Flores connection there because, you know, people are talking about the fact that they went to the same high school. I find that very intriguing because the guy that coached Brian Flores was actually there coaching poly prep when Isaiah Wilson arrived. He didn't finish Wilson's career, but you have to imagine there's a little bit of like, hey, what's, what's this Kids deal, and I saw a YouTube video where he talked about in in high school how he would stay at the gym until 7:30 at night every night lifting weights and and getting to 300 pounds, 18 percent body fat at, in high school. Ben, you and I talking here, a couple of you know 150 soaking wet type of guys. It's it always yeah. blows my mind the way these kids <laughs> are built coming out. But yeah, there's there's some upside there. I'm excited about it. But I think the thing that we are you know most concerned with this off season is how do you construct the offense around your second year quarterback? That's something that. Every team that drafts a quarterback highly does at some point. Second year, third year, we saw Josh Allen, the Buffalo Bills this year. You know, they go out and get Cole Beasley and John Brown previously, bring in Stephon Diggs, and look at the results he has with that big jump. So what I ask you, nine-game sample size, you know, some ups and downs, had the great Arizona game early on, the, the idea about going to Fitzpatrick late-game situations. What did you see in Tua's game this year as a rookie that you liked?
1: Yeah. Rookie quarterback looking like a rookie quarterback. Right. And so when he initially came in, there was that shot in the arm as the, the offense kind of woke up a little bit, the scrambling ability, right. Obviously brings a a different dimension. You have to deal with on third downs as opposed to fits. Well, obviously we love it when fit scrambles because he like hits dudes, but it's not the same <laughs> sort of a threat. Uh, and so you get the, the added advantage of the mobility. You obviously, you get the, the accuracy, you get the placement, you get the ability to start generating some more yards after the catch. Uh, Miami's, skill positions as they were last year right you had a a, a carousel at a slot you had to deal with some injury you had the big body tight ends you had Devonte parker wasn't really a team built for yards after the catch two was able to maximize what you've got because the ball placements for really the quality, right like what the the book on tua coming out was the accuracy you could put the ball in the necessary spot to, to maximize the play so you got that jolt and then as is typically the case with rookie quarterbacks after the jolt Comes the the doldrums. Comes the, the the prolonged agony of an NFL season when defenses start to figure out where you want to go, what you want to do. Uh, your scope for the playbook starts getting bigger. They start wanting you to take on more uh, uh, ideas on third down. We have to install this, and you start dealing with injuries in, in the guys you were playing with in, in camp and in the preseason. All of a sudden, you're throwing to, to trade acquisitions you've never seen before, and late round guys you haven't targeted the ball as much, and, and, and you start to struggle. I think that a lot of what Tua did so well at Alabama was taking what was already advantages and maximizing them. He was very risk-averse, and he was very good at taking the easy stuff and, and letting it turn into big stuff. He didn't go chasing big plays not how Miami was going to win on offense last year. And that's why you see Fitzpatrick come in against the Raiders and just start chucking the thing down the field, you know, making Mac Hollins looking like a hero receiver, right? Just Ryan just doesn't care. Ryan's just going to be aggressive and that's how, that's how he's going to play you're able to get away with those wide margins at Alabama because you have that talent disparity. It's not as easy to get away with it in the NFL, regardless of the team, let alone Miami with some of the personnel problems that they had. So I think, well, you saw uh, decisiveness, you saw scrambling, you saw some of the accuracy that you expected to see coming out. Some of the issues deal with certainly uh, underneath zone processing. Something that was a problem with him coming out of Alabama. Talk about anticipation and timing a little bit. Anticipation largely gets overblown. I, I I I'm of the opinion a quarterback makes like eight anticipation throws a season, and like those are cool, but that's it. Unless you're Patrick <laughs> Holmes, you make like fifty. but That's not that's not real. Uh, you got to know your timing. You got to know how to change your pace, when to speed up your drop, when to speed up your release, to take advantage of a closing window. Not anything I had to contend with at the college level simply because it was it was a little bit easy there at Alabama with that offense with those receivers. Uh, so learning how to speed up his process, learning how to modulate, learning how to see guys all across the field, just so basically being able to widen that scope, that's the biggest issue, but that's very commonly the biggest issue. That was an issue for Herbert, even for as well as he played. It was an issue for Burrow, even for as well as he played. It's always the issue when you're coming up from the college ranks.
0: So we're going to talk about possible options to help, you know, expedite to his growth and development as a quarterback here. But before we do that, I want to ask you like you mentioned that underneath processing and, and deciphering those zone coverages. Mm-hmm. Cause like to me, Ben, when I watched the tape back and I did it recently, the, you mentioned that, those, that Joel early on, there were some plays you talked about the anticipation throws where Jakeem Grant isn't even to the top of the stem yet coming out of an out route and the ball's already out. And he's hitting that. It's a, one of those eight anticipation throws that you talk about and and he mm-hmm. just seems sharp and he's hitting all these things on time and rhythm and then there's a bit of a lull like you mentioned and it, was, it came after he hit had the injured thumb in practice and comes back into the Denver game into the Cincinnati game and, and he's, he's just there's some shots down the field that he's not taking or he's not maybe being aggressive with it like how does how does he himself besides the weaponry around him take that step and improve in that year two?
1: so the the first thing is coming to understand your rhythm right so the JaKeem Grant stop route this is a great example of when we talk about anticipation throws. He's throwing the ball before Grant's out of the break, right? So he's anticipating the break. But largely, that's a timing-based concept. You're going to three-step. You're going to hit the top of your drop. You're going to maybe hitch, depending on the depth of the route, and then you're going to throw it because you know that receiver is going to stop. As long as pre- and post-snap, you get the look of, like, all right, it's man coverage, all right, like it's zone. He's playing top-down. Usually when we talk about spot-dropping zone concepts, right, cover three, cover two, whatever, Defenders in short zones. The underneath zones are playing top down, so they're going to play the deep routes first, and they're going to close downhill on anything that stops. So you're going to three step and hitch, and it's the same process as throwing the ball against air. Like you do it the same way, because that that unless that defender is playing directly underneath that route, it's not really going to change what you do, right? So that is, is is all about your timing. It's all about your rhythm, and and the more you do it with that player, the more you throw that route in that offense in that context, the better and better you're going to understand that timing. That. Process right there, three-step pitch, eight-yard curl, whatever it is. That's the process that can get sped up in the league level because that defender playing top down all of a sudden's a lot better. He's a lot faster. He's a lot less afraid of the deep route, and and because he's doing his film study, he knows that that route's coming. He's much more confident in that than Mississippi State's linebacker was 12 12 months ago. So. When we talk about being able to see underneath zone defenders, we talk about being able to throw with anticipation and, and, and work that short middle area of the field, which where two is money is going to be made, right? Like he's not a, a super tall quarterback. So throwing intermediate, is going to be tricky. He's got to be able to work short area of the field. It, that improvement comes from your rhythm and your film study. So now you're going to need to understand, all right, with how they're lined up and safety's rotating down and this guy's cheating, whatever, I'm expecting this rotation. If that's the case, this ball's gotta be out now. If I wanna throw this flat, it's one step and throw. Because they're gonna be rotating to that side. Or, you know, all right, I see that he that outside corners in a half bail, they're probably rotating to cover two. I've got plenty of time to throw this deep comeback. So I'm gonna try to move the safety first, or I'm gonna pump fake and try to move him. So once you get more intimately familiar with what matters on a given play. It's going to help you change your process. The minute details, the fine tuning. Everybody knows Tua can five-step drop and throw. You know, a bang eight. You can throw a slant. You can throw a curl, deep dig. He's accurate out the wazoo. He's nuts. He's annoying. It's ridiculous. But the little stuff, right, that you modulate is going to be how you get it, it, those tiny advantages on any given play that make the catch just a little bit easier, that make the throw a little bit more accurate, that maximize your yak opportunities, protect the ball, and that's where you get your margins. Because I think we all saw in Tua last year, enough throws to be like, all right, this guy can start in the league and be good. You know, like we all talk about the Deshaun Watson trade because it's Deshaun Watson, but Tua is a big part of that for Houston, hypothetically, because Tua might be good. That might matter a lot to Houston. <laughs> so this is a, a, a for real guy. He checked the boxes you want to see. Now it's about development. So you're going to have to speed up the process of your game and get smarter before the snap and know how to make your little adjustments to be successful. So
0: I'm really glad that you go into that because, you know, I go back to the pre-draft process. And again, your contextualized quarterback is one of the finest pieces of football literature nice there is man. out there. I I love it, man. I can't wait to see it again this season. And I go back to this ESPN detail episode with Nick Saban where he talks about this process where Tua goes through, you know, the, the full field reads, the third progression, the fourth read in the progression. And I'm watching the way he kind of takes that to the NFL level. And his very first game, for instance, against the Rams, there are multiple plays where they rotate into a single high look, Tua identifies the safety, and he sees him cheat one step or the other, and he's bang. He's taking that, the the X receiver yeah. takeoff route. He's going to take his one-on-one chance to Devontae Parker or Mike Gesicki. So he sees these matchups and knows where they are and how to manipulate the safety in the middle of the field. So, I mean, I feel like it's it's coming, right? Like it's, it's, it's on its way.
1: It's funny because getting to start against the Rams defense, like we knew at the time that was kind of tough. Later, we're like, holy smokes, that's awesome. Like <laughs> yeah. that defense was the model, right? That defense is going to be huge for them. I agree with you. I, I, he came out in the Rams game shooting. He came out in the Arizona game shooting, right? Yeah, and then that was fun. you start you start encountering resistance, and it's tough. Like, uh, Mark Schofield, who writes for the Touchdown Wire, is another great quarterback guy, wrote a piece on Deshaun Watson during his arc at Clemson where he talked about development's not linear. And it's actually a very interesting piece now in the context of Trevor Lawrence, whose best play came as a freshman at Clemson, much like Deshaun was better younger as a freshman at Clemson. And then, you know, you have to accept the fact that development can be a very stop start. Tua came out, was aggressive, he played great. Then he started to get banged up. Probably the hips started feeling not strong because, you know, you come back from injury and then you get fully back from injury in the yeah. NFL. You know, those are two separate processes. Uh, and he, he didn't start to play as, as, uh, Fearlessly, I don't want to say aggressive because I was just using it in the framework of Ryan and and, and Tua. But he knew what he wanted and he went after it and he got it. And you, you saw more hesitance. You saw more throws off platform because his feet were hesitating. Right, he wasn't trusting as much as what he was seeing. Wasn't as confident what it was going to be. You started to take your lumps. And like again, I bring up Herbert and Burrow because both Herbert and Burrow had those surges where it was like, all right, Burrow's going to be the offensive rookie of the year, and then obviously Herbert came in and Herbert took over. Both had like stretches of really good play. And then both had stretches where they just couldn't get it right. Like Herbert had a stretch there at the end of the season where, I mean, he does a lot of really good stuff like under pressure, but not under pressure, clean pocket. He's got problems. And those are going to be problems that that all teams are going to be responsible for hashing out in their guys. So, yeah, it feels like, too, I had the worst rookie quarterback season of the three. He probably did. But like I said, to me, he checks boxes. I I, I saw what I needed to see to know that the player that was at Alabama can translate to the pros. My job as a coach, my job as a GM now is to get him the necessary tools, to work with him the necessary development, to make sure that he's, he's ready to do that, he's fully healthy, he's good to go.
0: And that's why you're on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast. Benjamin Solak from the Draft Network. The the crux, the, the genesis of this podcast idea was to get you on to talk about what each of the presumed top four pass catching targets would look like in terms of how this offense is constructed around both Tua, the passing game, and whichever of these particular guys it is. And so... Tell me how you would rate the four, and I mean, we can take breaks in between, or you can do them all at once, I don't really care, but between Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddell, how do you separate those four, and what do they, how how does the Dolphins offense look different with each of those four guys on the roster?
1: Yeah, if we do all four at once, you go make a sandwich, I'll be here for 20 minutes. Uh, <laughs> Start right, with everyone. So, yeah, so for me, on my personal big board, as they're ranked independent of position, Kyle Pitts is the best player of the four. Then Jamar Chase, then Jalen Waddle, then Devonte Smith. Those are my four. For the Dolphins, I would say, like, it's very difficult because there's no way you can say they don't have room for Kyle Pitts because everybody's got room for Kyle Pitts because he's nuts. Um, but they probably would be. It would be more responsible to go after a traditional wide receiver than it would be for Kyle Pitts. And the uh, you know Daniel Jeremiah, a lot of a lot of guys uh, you know talking to the league have said that. You know, Kyle Pitts is nuts. There's no way to stop Kyle Pitts. And they're not wrong. But a lot of what's going to make Pitts valuable as a potential top five, top ten pick beyond the wide receiver ability is that he is a functional blocker, mm-hmm. he is a, a functional hand in dirt inline blocker. It's not mowing guys, not George Kittle, not burying guys 10 yards off line of scrimmage, but it works for you. And what that means is when 84 is on the field, Defense has to make a decision on what personnel they're putting on the field to deal with that guy. And if they go heavy, Pitts is beating that guy one-on-one in space. And if they go light, you're going to be able to run the football on them. And Pitts probably still can beat that guy one-on-one in space. So that that's the advantage of that guy with the tight end designation. He, you're, he's obviously going to be a heavy target dude for you. If Miami brings him in, then, yeah, he's going to line up. I mean, Travis Kelsey is like 50-50 in line and slot, and that is like a nuts distribution. Your average tight end like maybe does 20% of their snaps not in line, 25% of their snaps not in line. Pitts is going to be like 66-33, but he's going to primarily be an inline guy for them. And then, when they put multiple tight ends on the field with Smythe and with Gisicchi, they wanted those guys in reduced towards the line of scrimmage, towards the center of the field, and then they would release them out of their concepts. That's what they're going to do with Pitts. It's especially true because of Devontae Parker and Preston Williams. If they want a big backside X, they have two of them. both yeah. <laughs> pretty good. is really good. Yeah. They don't necessarily have they, – they, they could put Pitts in that spot, but a team that doesn't have that big receiver would benefit more so from Pitts' ability to be like a Darren Waller than the Dolphins would. So, to me, uh, I would imagine that Pitts would be very highly ranked on their board but I do think that wide receiver deserves to be a premium position for them. So that brings us to the three wideouts. As I said, I had Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith. I think that the best player for them and for their needs is Jalen Waddle working out of the slot. Uh, Chase, there's no reason to believe he can't be successful in the slot. But again, you're not maximizing the traits that the player has. Uh, Chase is so dominant physically down the field. Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. When we talk now not about where we're just lining guys up, but instead now route distributions, if Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to be your quarterback, then yeah, bring in Jamar Chase, bring in, uh, keep Matt Collins, Devont, we're going to run everybody vertically down the field, Ryan, pick who you want and chuck it out. This is what the Bucks Four did with, with Fitzpatrick, right? When he, when he was there with Jameis, and then obviously the Dolphins would do it when they brought Fitzpatrick in. He's going to be successful on on a quick drop, throwing a nine ball back shoulder. Go make a catch for me. Go make a big play, my skyscraper wide receiver. Chase isn't built like that, but that's how he plays. He's an extremely dominant physical player, and that's why you hear some of the the, the Justin Blackman comps, which is one that I particularly like. Uh, he gets these uh, he gets uh, Devonte Adams comps at times, and Adams is so good on a nine ball as well. But that's where you start looking at releases and route running, and Chase is a good route runner but he's not an elite athlete and he's not an elite route runner. Not yet. And we could look back here in three, four years and be like, Ben's an idiot probably going to happen. But (laughs) at this stage, even in that Joe Brady offense where he had a pretty diverse route tree, Chase is just not the strongest guy on breaking routes right now. He's not the strongest route runner. And so if you're looking for a slot separator, which I would encourage the dolphins to do because of who they have in personnel, they don't really have a starting slot right now. And because of who their quarterback is, Tua of Bailoa, who's not gonna be a constant nine ball guy. He's gonna work breaking routes. He's gonna work timing routes. He's gonna want underneath separators. I don't think Jamar Chase is the ideal fit. There's a massive asterisk here, which is we have absolutely no idea, at least I don't, what Eric Studesville and, and George Godsey are gonna do. You know what I mean? Like uh, they, 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 they have co offensive coordinators who were both on staff last year. I got nothing for you in terms of like what is, what's these guys' backgrounds, what systems do they want to run? There's very little, you know, for me just like looking at their old film. There's very little I glean from that. So there's a chance that they just want super physical players, and that and they're going to have Chase be a separator with his size, and they like him for that. But Chase doesn't fit that model. the 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 model separator underneath slot separator in this class is going to be Jalen Waddle. It's funny because Waddle's deep ball ability is so good. His ability to elevate downfield, his ability to separate deep is so incredible. So it's not to take that away from him, but it is to say that the amount of quick twitch, route running, and ball in hand ability that's in Waddle is bananas. He's built like a running back. He runs like a running back. You watch him on returns against Auburn in the 2018, 2019 season. The vision is clearly there. And so if we're talking about a player you can get the ball to within five yards of the line of scrimmage and generate explosive plays, Nobody in this class is better than Jalen Waddell. And when you look at Jakeem Grant, you look at Lynn Bowden, you see that the Dolphins have gone after players of this mold so far without too much success. And so what's lacking on this team and what Tua greatly benefited from with Judy, with Ruggs, with Devontae Smith, and with Jalen Waddell all in that final season was we're in an RPO. I've got a a backside Z receiver. I can throw him a slant. I can throw him a a quick curl, right, a a, a five-yard stop. I'm going to read the box. I got one-on-one. I'm going to give it to him. Go pick me up a first down because Tua will make that right decision and deliver a quick, accurate ball 10 out of 10 times. So you need a player who can take that and make that into an explosive play, make that into a significant game, break the first tackle, and make the defense rally and come to him. That's Jalen Waddle, more so than Devontae Smith. Smith is a good route runner. He's a better route runner than than, than Waddle is. Alabama used him with a lot of success in this role. And so if they take Devonte and they like him better, I'll get it. But because of the frame concerns with Devontae at 6'1", 175, the lack of size is worrisome over the middle. And Devontae's tough as nails. He's such a good watch. He's such a great guy. And the reality is that even if you grade Devontae out higher than Jalen Waddell, he's going to have a red flag next to his name because receivers who weigh as little as Devontae Smith weighs, 175 pounds, BMI under 24, have historically struggled in the league. You're hoping to get Emmanuel Sanders. You're hoping to get John Brown, right? These are the players that have been successful with that body type in the league, in that role. And even then, those guys had some deep speed traits that we're not even sure Devontae has yet. And so to me, uh, I like Pitts, Chase, Waddle, Devontae. For the Dolphins, I like Waddle, Devontae as probably that top tier. Then I like Chase. And then I like pits with this a giant asterisk up these pal pits. If you draft them, it's going to be
0: fun. <laughs> See, all you've done here, my friend, is served to muddy my waters because – I had a pretty good idea what I wanted to do and then you came in here and kind of blew my mind with all of that and I want to just kind okay, of go and this is
1: exactly how it goes in the room, right? Yeah. You just have a bunch of guys watch okay. these guys and they all come together and none of them agree and it sucks and you're <laughs> never going to be right and this is a stressful decision you should just trade back. Yeah, exactly. And then the
0: GM gets all the credit or all the blame either way. So I, I wrote a couple of notes here I want to check off with you and, and you mentioned the, the the traits you mentioned about Jalen Waller why I'm so high personally on Curtis Samuel for a possible free agent. Taylor Moten right, got the yeah. franchise tag yeah. with the Panthers so he might have the market. We'll see if they re sign him. That's my most intriguing free agent for the Dolphins, personally speaking. Um, you talk about the idea of Eric Studisville and George Godsey. What's their offense going to be like? Who the F knows, man? It, it, it could right. be anything. <laughs> and, and, you know, one of the things I saw was they want to kind of implement some college and NFL, you know, elements and, and be multiple and, and flexible every week. Every coaching staff says that, but I think the Dolphins have shown that they can be flexible week to week based upon their snap counts and their game plans and, and that sort of thing. You talked about the uh, you know getting a tight end on the field and playing in line versus slot and flexed out wide. Miami ran so much unbalanced 12 personnel last year, and usually it was Gasicki and Smythe. Sometimes it was Shaheen and Smythe, and that kind of d- d- dictated whether they ran the ball, threw the ball, mm-hmm. you call it, what do you like? And so I think about Kyle Pitts in that formation, and you talked about it. If, if they're going to keep their base defense on the field, and we have Mike Gasicki and Kyle Pitts in, in line in 12 personnel, well, then I can just go empty and attack your base defense with an empty, you know, five matchups I like. So I, that's that's kind of my thinking there. And then the last point, and this is more of a question for you, Ben, is because you have the third pick, and let's assume two quarterbacks go bang one, two, which I think we agree they will. If that's the case, then the Dolphins have their pick of the litter. So then, you know, you talk about the way you you plan your plan A, your plan B, and you you base free agency based upon what you might do in the draft. But you can't be certain because the draft is such a crapshoot, and you don't know what's going to happen. But because you have that third pick, can you then say, "Well, I'm guaranteed to get my guy that I want, and I can construct my offense around his skill set"? Does that make sense? Has that ever been a thought process in a draft room?
1: Right. I, I no, it absolutely makes sense in the in the idea that like. I've got the power here to make this pick. And so you you say within the room, we need to, like, if we get on free and we pick up the phone and just nobody wants to trade up, which I don't think will happen this year because there's so many quarterbacks. But, like, let's say we're on the board. We got to make a pick. Who is... Uh, not like you're asking two questions who is the best fit for our offense who's going to do what we want who fits our culture uh, the ravens GM eric da costa had a great quote today that was circling around the timeline it was basically like you got to be able to identify players who fit with you it doesn't matter how talented they are if you don't know how to use them it's pointless but good coaching staff figure out how talented players fit so you got two questions one who's going to fit for us and two is that a player here where he's so good, it doesn't matter. And that's why I put my Kyle Pitts asterisk when I kind of summarized that all up. Because I don't want to be on a a quote grab three years later saying I was fourth out of four for Kyle Pitts on the Miami (laughs) Dolphins board. Because (laughs) when we talk about scouting, we talk about blue chip players, right? Blue chip players here being, uh, you give out two or three blue chips like a year, maybe, depending on the class. Like these are players that are nuts. These are players that do not come around. And Kyle Pitts is, do not come around. What you have in in the full package of what you can do. I brought up the name Darren Waller. I brought up the name Travis Kelsey. At any given time, you can dictate a matchup. At any given time, you can put him on one side of the formation, put everybody else on the other side of the formation, and dare a team to figure it out. Because you don't have one dude who can cover him, certainly not a linebacker or a safety. So now you got to go put a corner on him. And now that means I've got corner two on Devontae. So you got to go put a corner on him. Or you're playing a too high shell, and you're putting safety help to his side. Now I've got numbers the other side of the field. At any Point. I can put him over there and screw you over. That that's what I get to. Unless you got Jalen Ramsey, I got my advantage here. And so that's a that that blue chip ability of Kyle Pitts. This is just irregular, and it it is framework changing. It's paradigm shifting. Can break the mold of the first question, which is oh Jalen Waddles the best fit in this draft for what we like, right? And so that's why Pitts is such a difficult player to place. I've seen him mocked at three to Miami four to Atlanta, five to Cincinnati, six to Philadelphia. <laughs> Do you catch my drift? Like yeah. it's just There's no team that couldn't use right. a player that brings this to the table. So if you believe Kyle Pitts to be that philosophy changing, that paradigm shifting, that we've already got tight ends that we like, but there's no way we can pass up on this guy player, then you might, yeah, sit at three and make that pick. Now, good analytics guys will tell you, you can't be confident enough in that evaluation to justify not trading back. But again, we're operating in a world where, where we can't do that. With what uh, the, the Dolphins have done under Chris Greer, I would imagine they there won't be a player on the board at three. That would be such a strong email that they wouldn't consider trading back. They've just they've been great at hoarding picks. They've done it well. They've it's been to hugely to their advantage, right? They killed the draft last year, and they still have a ton of picks this year. Uh, I would imagine that's that's going to be the look. But absolutely, I mean, if your scouting staff is sitting there screaming at you and saying. Kyle Pitts is going to solve defenses for the next 10 years, and you could pick him at three. You gotta listen to that, and, and you you have to ask the question of how confident are we in that evaluation? Are we willing to take that plunge with such a premium pick?
0: That's that's my thing, man. Such a rare player that you just might not have a chance to to get a look at again for a long, long time, maybe ever, because you don't want to be drafting the top three very often. And this isn't our you know our organic well, pick. only if
1: it's Houston's pick, exactly. Yeah, we'll take them all the day long.
0: <laughs> so if you trade back again, maybe you get this get get another crack next year while you make the playoffs, hopefully. But you know, you you mentioned it, holding that third pick in the draft and being kind of the swing part of the draft makes my job a lot more fun. I'll tell you that right now. Um, Mm -hmm. You you talked a little bit about, uh, you know, Pitts and Daniel Jeremiah had a a tweet um, this morning about how if if he had to pick one player out of this draft class to go to the Hall of Fame, he would say it's going to be Kyle Pitts, which I mean is is high praise as you can get. But he also said something earlier in the week, might've been last week, maybe he was on Move the Sticks. I kind of forget. I consume a lot of his content. He talked about how maybe now because of these last two receiver classes, that you might be in a situation where you start kind of pairing the receiver class with the running back class in terms of where you value them in the draft. Like, I can still get a good receiver at 70, 80, 90. I mean, Amari Rogers, D. Eskridge, all these guys that maybe kind of fall back because of how deep this class is. Do you subscribe to that? Is there something to maybe those top-of-the-line guys fall back a little bit? Maybe you pass on them in general because you can come back on day two and scoop up guys, and I'll list a million of them, Cooper Cup, for instance. All these guys that have day two draft pedigree, and why not being productive as rookies? Like, do you see that as a possibility?
1: Right. So the day two wide receiver complex, I don't know, industry factory is awesome. And the reason it's a lot of fun is because A, it's happening because a lot more receivers are just getting on the field, right? Like a, a day two receiver matters more because wide receiver three matters more. And usually you're not drafting wide receiver three on day one, you're drafting him on day two. You're giving him a, a mid-level contract, right? And so, number one, you're getting more opportunities. That means more development, that means more time for usage. Two, we're getting more creative with how we use wide receivers, right? Like you brought up Cooper Cup. Cooper Cup runs 95 routes and they all go four yards down the field. <laughs> and like it's just it's just the 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 McVay knowing what he's doing in terms of running his serious football, putting Cup near a line of scrimmage where he's a threat to block getting him in man coverage with two way go. And then he's running option routes. He's running slot routes. He's running middle of the field and golf's just hitting him timeout, 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 timeout. When you watched cup at Eastern Washington, that's all he could be. He goes to a great spot for it and he's awesome. And he's incredibly valuable to that team. And they're able to get him in round three because that's just what he was going to be in the league. So you have wide receivers getting on the field more. You have offensive designers knowing how to work with more receivers on the field. And finally, Wide receiver now has become such a spectrum of, of body types. It's become such a spectrum of roles. Like we brought up Cooper Cup. Another round three receiver was Kenny Galladay out of Northern Illinois, right? And so you had a Mac guy and an Eastern Washington FCS, I think, Eastern Washington guy. Yep. Uh, Galladay at Northern Illinois ran three routes, and they were all outside of the numbers. Right? <laughs> like, all right. We're going to run a deep comeback, and we're going to run a quick stop. And we're going to run a nine. Here we go. Sometimes we're going to run a slant. It's going to be great. And he goes to Detroit, and it's what he does, right? It's just, I'm going to be Kenny Galladay. I'm going to be bigger than you, and I'm going to want the ball more. And I have Matt Stafford, who's just willing to put it up there for me, right? And uh, these are reductionist ideas, but you can get body types, skills, and roles on day two. And a lot of what we, uh, a big thing that we talk about in evaluation is the traits matching the skills, right? So take Omari Rogers, a name that you brought up. Amari Rogers traits wise is built like a bowling ball, right? He's like 5'11, 2'10. Uh, and He's got good quickness, great contact balance and excellent burst. Really nice. First couple of steps skills wise. Rodgers isn't a really great deep ball tracker, but he's not built like a guy who's going to go and catch a deep ball. He's not built like a sprinter and he's not a skyscraper who's going to go when he test the catch skills wise. He's got really good vision. And he's really, really great at reading his blocks, accelerating through tight angles, getting down the field. So this guy is built like and plays like a Debo Samuel, who just is going to get right quick handoffs. He's going to get wide receiver touches, right? He's going to get these, 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 little screens, little RPOs, and he's going to make a lot out of that. So Roger's another great guy. We're talking about Miami slot underneath separator role. We're going to throw him screens. We're going to throw him RPOs. We're going to ask him to break one tackle and go get us an explosive game. That player is going to be available on day two, but his traits match his skills. Mm-hmm. He's got a, a role that's very clear. And so I can get him install him into my offense he doesn't need to be a 100 target 150 target guy but he, he's going to be successful in that role a couple games a year I'm going to rely on him heavily because that's the game plan other games of the year he's not going to be but that's okay He was a day two pick he wasn't around one pick I don't have to force feed him targets He's going to be a part of my rotation so wide receivers expanded both in the number of dudes getting on the field and also the, the body types and the roles that we work with and that makes it a lot easier to get impact players later in the draft I was certain you were going to say Jarvis Landry there I mean, so Jarvis, like, Jarvis is such a good separator, right? Jarvis is, I think that Rodgers, and a lot of that's that Clemson offense. Rodgers just didn't have to run a ton of routes. That comes off, it's pretty simple. Jarvis is just like, I I would have to be nuts about a player to come up into Jarvis's, like, toughness over the middle of the field. You know what I mean? I hope Rodgers becomes Jarvis Landry's route runner. He'd be great.
0: Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of his game. I thought, and the Senior Bowl was a good showcase of that as well, in terms of his his kind of wiggle and burst off the off the top of the stem and, and at the line too. But um, you know, we talk a lot about receivers in the passing game here. We're getting long Ben, but we'll keep going here about the running back class. And we we go back to Daniel Jeremiah who had his conference call on Tuesday with a billion people on that call, and and why wouldn't they be? And he said that uh, Javante Williams out of North Carolina, 220 pounds, sweet feet, can catch the football, does everything in that Tar Heel offense. He said that he's pushing Najee Harris for his top spot on the running back class. Is that how you see it? Do you have the third Travis Etienne in that grouping? How do you tier mm-hmm. your running backs? And, and what's the value of uh, that 18th pick at the running back position?
1: Yeah, know this, like, this is a great example of what always happens when you cover the draft, which is you find a guy, you're like, this guy's good. Like, I like this guy. Like, I watched Javante Williams, and I was like, ah, like, this is a top-tier running back. Like, this guy's for real. And then DJ's like, he might be better than Najee Harris. And I'm like, all right, no, chill, slow down. He's good. Like, we don't got to go all the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I uh, To me, Najee's running back one. Uh, Harris is a true three-down bat. He's got the frame, uh, the intelligence, the vision, and the technique of a, an NFL-caliber pass protector, which doesn't mean he's amazing. It means he works. Uh, he's got ludicrously soft hands for a dude that you would expect just never saw footballs thrown his way, given his build. But he's a very natural receiver, and he's got real routes, NFL-caliber routes. Uh, and then as a runner, he's patient, he's physical, he's got sufficient burst. You know, I'm not going to go say that he's you know, out out sprinting dudes, but he's got more than sufficient burst. Uh, he's got tackle-breaking ability, both in space and, and in tight areas of the field. He's everything you want to be able to run as a bell cow. And it's interesting because uh, I don't know if I was talking with you about this, but it, Miami last year, even as they went through the running back carousel, on a game-to-game basis, really seemed like they wanted to be a – primary back team right that's how they wanted wanted to approach it and so Harris is a guy who can take 75 80 percent of your snaps and you feel confident no matter the down no matter the distance that he's going to matter Javante has a lot of that that could have been true if he stayed for another year I think it's right that he came out because he's quite good and I think he'll go decently early but you didn't see as much as a receiver from Najee, as you've seen over the past couple of years, you didn't see as much uh, in terms of running the ball on wide zone and zone concepts. I mean, they, they use him a lot behind pullers. They use him a lot on RPOs. So I don't think vision-wise he's the same player as Harris. Pass protection is awesome. Uh, not, uh, excuse me, Javante is kind of fun. He's an ex-linebacker. Uh, so he takes it personally he when a linebacker thinks he's going to be able to blitz. Uh, Javante says, no, I, I once was you, and I still <laughs> am you. He's stone walls, and it's it. fun to see. So I think that I, I, you, you talk yourself into him being a three-down back. It just requires a little bit more projection for me. Uh And so for as much as I like Javante Williams, I, I don't think that I would have him above Najee Harris. Etienne is certainly in that tier for me. But Etienne uh, is a home run hitter who, who's looking for home runs. He's, he's coming out swinging. And so there's times where he takes – tackles for losses that he shouldn't take. There's times where he, he doesn't uh, put his head down to get the dirty yardage you'd like to see out of your running back. Uh, certainly Miami could use a home run hitter. Uh, I, I think that even everything you like out of Miles Gaskin and what he did, you know that his long speed just isn't going to turn well-blocked, successful first and second level plays into scores because he just doesn't have that extra, extra uh, gear. And so if they're really looking for that, Javante doesn't have it. Najee doesn't have it. Travis Etienne is that guy. Yeah. But in terms of well-roundedness, I, I don't think he's the same as the other two. So for me, still Najee at the top. But Javante, I mean, it's fun film, man. He's awesome.
0: Yeah. He. Uh, you talk about the pass, the pass pro, the way he tackles guys and just squares him up. It's so much fun to watch. It's almost he like he folded comical.
1: some <laughs> NC State kid in half, man. Like how I, I, he walked yeah. off the field. It's scary. Oh, so good.
0: I, I had I had some offensive line talk planned here, but I want to just go ahead and get one more question for you because, like I said, we did go pretty long here, and it's great. Great stuff, Ben. Appreciate Me? your time. Me? Long?
1: On a podcast? What?
0: Hey, that's what you're here for, man. It's, <laughs> we're, we're in the uh, the two podcasts per week edition of the offseason, so I, I'm okay with going over my half-hour allotment on these podcasts. And I want to finish with this because this is, and again, these theories that I kind of cook up, this is all I think about, Ben. I know this is how you are, too. I think about right. the Dolphins in football 24 hours a day. Uh, and I thought about this with, you know, we talked about the quick game and Tua and the and the blackjack dealer, right? The ball comes out so quick out of his hands. So, is it does it make more sense as we continue to acquire these massive offensive linemen? Eric Flowers, three forty plus; Solomon Kinley, three forty plus; Isaiah Wilson, three fifty. Does it make sense to to prioritize playmakers over offensive linemen because the ball's out in two seconds and Tua's quick game is so sharp that he kind of takes care of the pass protection with the quick game? Does it make more sense to value the playmakers over the offensive line?
1: Yes, to a point. Uh, I agree with you. The quicker your quarterback gets rid of the football the less sustained pass protection matters. And then Joe Burrow got injured for the entire season, right? And that's kind of what the story was for Cincinnati. It was Burrow's getting rid of this ball so fast, and they're living in empty. It was chicken and egg, too. It was like, are they doing this because it's what Burrow's good at, or are they doing this because their offensive line is bad? And it's a little bit of both. Uh, And then Burrow was taking a lot of hits and eventually took a terrible hit. And obviously, with Tua having the injury history he does, high ankle sprains, the hip injury, you want to be minimizing his hits. So it's it's yes to a point. It's also yes to a point because – eventually you have to hard play action, fake, drop back and take a shot. Right. Especially with the receivers you currently have. Right. And and, and a lot of what you saw become struggles in the Chan Gailey offense last season before he was let go was that they struggled to find that vertical element. They struggled to find at times that explosive element in the passing game. It, so it, it works, you know, on, on first down, on second down, you're running RPOs and it's great. At some point you get to third and eight and you got to be able to drop back and you need those guys to be successful. And, and, Brian Flores, it's very clear. Brian Flores likes big bodies, and he likes winning the game in the trenches. Uh, and so I don't, I, I don't think it's to the Dolphins' detriment that they have that philosophy. They have that character up front. Solly Kinley, uh, Robert Hunt, some nasty dudes. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that's clearly part of their identity, and it was successful. They really found a, a rhythm in that running game last year, in large part because of those guys. So I think that that's fine. I do agree that it's time to start getting some playmakers and and round out this roster.
0: It's going to be a fun offseason. Last year was a little bit of meat and potatoes for this Dolphins team, defense, offensive line. Mm -hmm. I think this year you get some of the sizzle as far as how the offseason resources are allocated. Benjamin Solak, at Benjamin Solak on Twitter. Senior, no, really, the senior draft writer at the Draft Network. Uh, Tons of podcasts, quarterback, uh, contextualized quarterback, Ben, it was awesome, man. As always, I missed you in India this year. Dude, we had a good conversation last year. Hopefully 2022 allows us to do that again, my man. Uh, what are you working on now? What's coming up next for you on the Draft Network and otherwise?
1: Yeah, I know the quarterback charting is well underway. Uh, so contextualized quarterbacking will hopefully be out uh, beginning of April. Right now we're in the uh, not as good quarterback section of the year, which is fun. <laughs> uh, but we're finishing off our free agency previews. Obviously, the tag going out today and everything like that. So we're excited for next week. That's our, our free agency bonanza. So that's every signing, every fit, and how it affects draft plans. Mock Draft Machine is up and constantly getting changed. All the team needs means new orders, new picks. It's going to be a good time. Good stuff, man.
0: Hey, you're past the coffee limit, but I'll all for today because a great performance. So, Ben, appreciate it as always, my man.
1: Thanks, Travis. Here we go, dude.
0: And away he goes. Two of the fastest talking podcasters in the game on one show. So basically drinking through a fire hose on that edition of drive time. A lot of fun. Always loves Ben. Love Ben's expertise and analysis we're going to go ahead and cut it off right there that's going to be my time on this edition of the drive time podcast you all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on apple spotify wherever you get your podcast from go ahead and leave us a rating leave us a review give me a follow on twitter it's at wingfield nfl you can follow the team at miami dolphins and check out the audible and the fish tank podcast and of course last but not least miamidolphins.com until next time fins up